time for Unholy Passion, episode number two. I'd like to thank everyone who's been listening to, to the podcast and checked out our um, our first episode that Ralph and I did. And uh, yeah, so I got Ralph on the line. So what's going on? How you doing? I'm doing fine, Mike. How are you? Hanging in there. It's uh, you know we're we're rolling into the spring here, and uh, the weather's getting nicer. Um, it's making me miss uh, going to shows and touring uh more now that the weather's nice you know so you're going to pack your bags and go to florida to party down ah man no i I might go down to florida on a horseback with a sword and start (laughs) people's heads off maybe but uh you know there's like a few people in florida that i would spare obviously like eric rutan you know (laughs) like some good friends (laughs) down there but like uh yeah you know i don't know I'm, i'm i'm still um I'm still playing it safe, you know what I mean, for the most part, you know. Yeah, yeah. Right here, everybody's uh, getting into the Easter mood. So, like, uh, it's this is my first day of Easter holiday. It's always the week before and after the Easter celebration, and um, right now, m- the most entertaining thing is that uh, the pandemic is like in its third wave here. Everybody's still in shutdown. They lock down all the tattoo parlors again and shit. But the church is fighting really hard to have like mass gatherings for for their church services. And uh, so so people started telling them, so, well, if, if God, if it's God's plan to wipe out half the people with this virus, do you think it's a good idea to worship him in this? It's like, no, that's not God's will. Uh, but it's like, it's a fact now that like we can't do anything except for the German Bundesliga, which is like the soccer first league comparable to the NFL from size and popularity. So they're still playing and the churches are still having their services with people in attendance, but everything else is shut down. So total shit show. <laughs> you know, that's an, that's an interesting philosophical point about worshiping God in the midst of all this, you know, and God's will. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe this is this kind of, uh, Gnosticism that's going on, you know what I mean? Where there's an, the inversion of God and Satan. Maybe that was true after all, you know? Yeah, maybe, (laughs) you know, maybe, maybe Satan has, is ruling the earth right now. You know, maybe we're living in hell. Maybe that's what this is all about. I've been, I've been confronted with a, with a kid in school recently that, uh, when I, when I spoke about like God and if that's, if it's God's will right now to, to like send out this plague and, uh, then the, the church staff is complaining that they don't have enough income anymore, which I highly doubt. And, uh, I thought like, well, isn't that God's will? And he's like, no, uh, that's, uh, that's God's will is almighty and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's okay. And then he started that like the dinosaur bones like i don't know how we came to this but he told me that the di- that the dinosaur bones are planted by the devil to test our like test our faith and our beliefs because there was no real like you know like all this the stuff that happened over millions of years was just like a, a finger finger snap of the high, of the of the white man with a white beard and all of a sudden all we are here and uh, gather of jesus i don't know complete horseshit let me ask you a question about religion in Germany. Um, is is there an overwhelming Catholic, like Roman Catholic vibe in Germany? Is that is that the mm. Christian religion that's primarily in Germany? 
It's it's split. We've got uh, we, it's it's like fifty fifty Protestants and, and Catholic Church, and but they're like both intertwined at, at a lot of points. But that's the basic uh, Catholic. Uh, it's the basic thing we have here that's still dominating, and uh, which is totally absurd for stuff like I don't know how it's done in the states, but like hospitals here, I generally like privatized and uh there has been a case like i, I just talked about this with with a, with a girl in school that told me that she she's been i don't know approached by someone and we talked about sexual molestation and shit like this and that a couple of years ago here in cologne a woman was was being raped and she went to a hospital and they didn't offer her the pill oh, to man. like because it was a catholic like hospital and then later on it was just like that five percent of the of the hospital was owned by the catholic church but it was the highest five percent so they can decide not to help people that got raped because it's god's will that stuff like this happens you know if she's pregnant it's god's will it's like wow okay great man that's so fucked up <laughs> totally i i've become fascinated with uh with the Catholic religion and, and actually Christianity in general. Um, not like I adhere to any of the tenets of those religions, but as a point of study, I find that stuff interesting and how they deal with certain situations. And uh, most, most interesting to me are those revivalists that, um, I don't know if this exists in Germany, but all through the South, there's these tent revivalists. You know, it's like a you know, it, it's an archetype that exists in the United States of these uh, maverick preacher men out in the mm -hmm. in in the population with tents and speaking the will, word of God and doing all this wild shit. And uh, it's a, a lot of it verges on madness, you know. But also, mm. some of it really harkens back to when, if you read stories in the Bible about uh, you know certain certain. Uh, el characters in that narrative that have gone out into the desert and experienced visions and things like that and come back mm. and you know i've changed my my, my my life changes you know and mm. that whole thing and delivering these speeches and having all these people believe in them and being miracle workers and healers and all that sort of stuff i find it interesting just because of the power of belief and um and i don't know if you've ever read uh american gods like the um the Neil Gaiman book. Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Where, where it's like all these gods and, and entities exist just, and they, they exist only on the power derived from the belief that people have in them. And uh, yeah, yeah, I guess like I, that's a, that's been a big meditation of mine is belief, you know, and, and, yeah. um, and that's uh, such a powerful thing. And it, I guess like you and I, we both, you know, we're both, educated men you know reasonable people and we we see through a lot of these things from our point of view yeah. but from someone who really believes that it's the will of god that's like the the realest thing in their life man and that's so fucking intense to me you know yeah yeah it's uh i mean it's part of it was part of my studies too when i studied philosophy and i mean one subject that like in philosophy when i teach that in ninth grade is the the five big religions the world has like the five biggest and um so most like most kids i have in my philosophy classes are muslim kids because there's no muslim religious uh studies in school 
And uh, so, so I talk about the, the first thing is um, what is uh, um, belief, the difference be- between believing and knowing. And it's it's so crazy when you talk to kids and like they they always think they know that this exists they know it and it's like no it's belief and and then they get really like some of them get really pissed at me and sure. it's just like yeah but it's like it's a fact and uh, it's a fact that you don't have facts you know it's it's a belief and it's okay if you believe but it's just like don't do stupid shit just because of belief and not about like with without the backing of knowledge and. That's that's something that is always fascinating me, and um, I mean we talked about this before. Are like both interested in these these serial killer things, and like especially when I talk like when we talk about Manson, yeah, it's a, it's the they believed in him, and they like he could he could tell them to do fucked up shit, and they would do it because they just believed in him, and that's kind of like. It's gone through all like all the ages after the second world after the first world war. Hitler he he came, became so powerful because people believed his words that he could change the thing and they, that they were like lost and he could save them. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's fascinating to me. Have you have you ever seen that film, The Apostle, with the the one mm. that that stars Robert Duvall? Uh, I don't think so. No. Man, it's such a great movie. It came out. Um, well, this is this is a good lead-in, actually, what we're going to be talking about. It came out in the '90s, <laughs> which okay. was which was a great decade for uh, music and and movies. I thought, you know, um, yeah, it, it was. You had to look. You had to look a little harder for for films, I think. But there was a lot yeah. of good good movies that came out in the '90s. But it speaks to a lot of what we're just what we were just discussing about uh, faith and belief and and the ultimate uh, feeling of betrayal. When you are, you know, Robert Duvall plays one of these like revivalist, uh, you know, Protestant preacher type guys. Mm-hmm. And, and there's like a lot of really powerful scenes in there that have to do with belief and, and the realizations of reality versus knowledge versus belief and all this stuff we were just talking about. It's a highly recommend that movie. Cool. Put it, put it on my list to watch. Uh, it's like I have two weeks off now, so I can finally catch up on shows and films and books and. Yeah, so I will I will see if I can find this and track it down and watch it. What uh what of what do you you got any plans to check anything out you've been looking forward to? Um I actually try to push back on the DC movies uh, and watch them in holidays, but I then then all the the fuzz about the Snyder cut of Justice League was happening. And I like you, I'm a Marvel guy. And I was never re- like a big, like never big on DC comic books except for Batman, and so I, I really worship these three Nolan Batman movies and like the first older ones, like the the, um, the really dark ones. But I remember that I watched um, uh, Man of Steel a while back, and I didn't like it. And, and then I said like, okay, I I kind of want to know what like what Justice League is about. So I started like going through all these movies the recent like the last weeks, and I have to say, looking back at it now, watching Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman, and now the Snyder Cut of Justice League back to back, it's actually pretty good and entertaining. And uh, but there's like total horse shit, like Justice uh, Suicide Squad or Aquaman. Boy, they they made me instantly dumber watching these movies. 
Uh, so I don't know, like I have this and I wanted to dive into like uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which just like has two episodes out. I downloaded the first episodes of uh, Clarice, like oh, this, yeah. this. Yeah, so I heard mixed things about this. But then again, I, I like my plan is to go through the Aliens movies again. After like, I mean, remember I, I suggested watching uh, Race by Wolves. And so I, I watched that the second time. And I really want to go through the Aliens movies again, including the Prometheus one and uh, the Covenant one, just to see like how I feel about them now. Man, that, that Raised by Wolves series was fantastic, I have to say. Um, yeah, I, really, I was... There's a yeah. podcast that accompanies that, too. I don't know if you checked that out, too. Yeah, you, you, told, you told me, and I checked that out. It's great. Yeah. What I like really about cute. it, yeah, is, is their approach is like pretty interesting. They'll have like someone who's a, a scientist. They'll have someone who specializes in like Roman mythology, and, you know, and they connect because there's so much depth and substance to the you know, to the, to the show, there's a lot going on, like underneath the, um, the narrative. And they, I just think it's really cool. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a great show from like, from a lot of angles. And I was skeptical at first, if they should do a second season, then the, the lead in, like what they did to make you into like curious about the second season, it actually worked. So now I'm on, on team. Yes. Okay. I will watch season two. And I just hope Ridley Scott is still involved making all this visual craziness happen because that was just so stunning. Just watching it, you could watch it without like without sound and it would, would still be impressive. Yeah, you know, I um, I've never really been, as far as reading goes, a, um, a big fan of hard sci-fi. And mm -hmm. uh, recently I started this book that my friend Chris up in Boston, uh, recommended to me called Blind Sight, which mm -hmm. um, it's sort of, I think you might like it if you liked uh, Raised by Wolves because it's not, it's not like that uh, storyline, but it deals with like consciousness and AI and like all this other, all these other things. And um, it's a uh, part one of a two part uh, series. And um I, I just, I'm about halfway through with the book. I'm probably going to finish it this weekend, actually. But, uh, but yeah, it's really, it's pretty awesome. That's cool. It's, it's, uh, yeah, man. It's, my, my, my book pile is so, so big right now. And I, I just like, we have the last two weeks I had to teach every day. So, like, school was back open, but it was like a mixed mall. So the classes were split in twos and they just came every other day. But you have to be in school every day, and after you teach a lesson, you have to put the lessons onto like some sort of message board, so the others could do it at home. And it was just like 14, 14 to fifteen hours of work. So in the end, I, I just like I got a, I got a new book uh, the other day. I wanted to, and I started like the first few chapters, and it's great. But I, I just felt like, oh man, I'm so tired and worn out in the evening. So I want to like I want to go and finish this one in the holidays now. Do you know Wise Blood by Flannery O'Connor? Oh yeah, I read that years ago, man. It's a great, great book. Yeah, and it's just like I just I just I, I remember I read about it, and then recently I saw a post uh, by P.J. Harvey that uh, she was reading this book when she wrote Stories of the City, Stories of the Sea, the record I really really like. 
And so I was like, okay, let's see this. Oh man, it just has 150 pages. So I got this and I read the first three chapters and I already love it. It's really good. You know, it's funny, just it, this fits into uh, another upcoming interview, man. Um, the band Bambara, which I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of. And, uh, yeah, man, me too. Shout out to uh, Retta out in, uh, in Arizona for turning me on to them because uh, I would, they, would, they would have snuck right by me if she hadn't told me about them. But um, Reed is going to be a guest uh, in, in oh. the next week or so. I'm interviewing Reed. And he strikes me as a guy who probably is a student of all this American Gothic writing, like Flannery O'Connor and, you know, Cormac McCarthy and this kind of stuff. Yeah, totally. Yeah. They are hands down one of the best 10 bands the last years had to offer. It's just like, I, I remember we talked about this before, but I saw them open up for nothing and I was there for nothing. And, and I was like, okay, Bambara, never heard of them. And then they, they took the stage, and after two songs, I'm like, okay, this is the best band I have seen in years. They're so good live. They're such a great band on record. So, yeah, if you talk about them, tell them there's a German that they're like a super big fan. I can't wait to get them back over here. And yeah. we, were actually, we were actually supposed to play with them. Ropes of Night were supposed to play one of, their first show, like one of our first shows together with them in Cologne. That's awesome, man. I can see that. I mean, they, they definitely span like a lot of different genres, I think. You know, there's like, uh, I mean, their earlier stuff was quite different. I don't know if you checked out any of their earlier albums. Yeah. They, they've been a band for like 10 years at least. And, yeah, uh, really noisy in the beginning. You know, and now it's like this kind of Nick Cave, you know, gun club, uh, crime in the city solution. Uh, you know, yeah. a little, little bit of the swans in there. You know, very, very, um, very American Gothic sounding, you know, and like these lyrics about people living out on the fringes of society and just dark, you know, darkness, you know, stuff like that. It's cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, 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 the, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, sorry. Man. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's just like, I think uh, I saw like an interview with the singer and it, it's Reed, Reed is the singer, right? Yeah. Reed's the singer. Yep. It, yeah. Um, I think from what I understood, like the, the lyrics to the last record, they were all part of a novel that he wrote or like an approach to a novel. And so all the lyrics are connected and part of this bigger story that he wrote and that's supposedly being should be pu published at some point. See, I'm like really looking forward to talking to him next week. So that's going to be yeah. great. Looking forward to cool. it. Cool. Right, so, uh, so today's episode, uh, we're, we're going to engage in this concept that you came up with actually a few years ago uh, went before we committed to doing the monthly show. So, uh, so I'm kind of excited about this and it has to do with uh, looking at the same thing from two different angles. And you and I though, we're, we're both uh, older, older gentlemen. I am quite a bit older than you. I'm about 10 years older than you are. So sometimes there are things that I see differently than you do. Um, yes. Because of that age gap. So, yeah, 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 which which is cool. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's interesting to like, be, yeah, whenever I listen to the podcast with you and Randy, that's like, OK, so there are like these two guys and I think you're about the same age, right? Yeah, we're close in age, Randy, I maybe about a couple of years or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So so I'm, I'm 41 now, so I'm probably like 10 years younger than you guys are. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, about right. Yeah. So, um, 
I, in comparison to my peers, I started like digging into music earlier than the others. So one thing I always like when I talk to people here, it's always people name like these quintessential albums, like from the people that are my age. They say like when we talk about Nirvana, for example, they always say like, oh, in utero, that's the record. I'm like, no, never mind. It's like, why? It's like, yeah, it was the first one I heard. Because like I was into music before they were, like at least like on a on a like the level that I am right now that we are that you were like really nerdy about this shit, and like I was watching MTV the whole time. So when Nevermind and Smells Like Teen Spirit happened, I was eleven, maybe twelve years old, and this completely got me hooked. And all the other guys they started later, so they uh, they found nirvana when they were like 14 or something and in utero came out and they're like a bunch of these records and one discussion i always had was uh about like which is the quintessential faith no more album and when i heard you and randy talk about uh you know the grunge thing and i i told you like like i actually grew up like when pearl jib came out and i appreciate the first three pearl jim records and um, I was I thought about like one band that always was in like was named <laughs> grunge, but wasn't really a grunge band, but happened in the same time was Faith No More. And they got immensely big here. And with Angel Dust, they did one of my all time favorite records. And that's what I when I when I bounced the ideas like, should we talk about Faith No More? And I was like, okay, let's see what Mike thinks about them. And I kind of had the feeling you wouldn't like them. But then I thought, like, maybe he also liked them. But you don't, from what I understood. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's not a yes or no type of answer, honestly. Because um, yeah. I own uh, two Faith No More records. Uh, Which I, would be? I own The Real Thing and Introduce Yourself. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that, and I stopped there because... Um, uh, when when uh, Angel Dust came out, uh, I was moving away from that sound, I think, a little bit. Because in the 80s, uh, well, all right, let, let's break it down this way. Like, okay, giving some context. When you were, like, getting into Nirvana, so so for me, my, my entry point into, like, alternative music, for lack of a better term, or punk rock or whatever, was, like, the Ramones. And uh, Black Flag and like Circle Jerks and stuff like that. So that, when I was the same age, like there was that era of music is what brought me in. And then by the time Nirvana came out, uh, I, I was already kind of, I already had like a little bit more of a perspective on things, I think. And, uh, but, but that's not, once again, going back to what we were talking about religion, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> if you... Um, that's your reality, man. And that's cool. Like that's, uh, there's different infinite realities we all live in. And, and that's, um, like for you, that stuff is as significant as, as the early like Ramones kind of stuff was to me. So I get it. You know, I understand that. And, and they're, they're an interesting band. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to say that faith no more are not important and they're not, um, influential and, have done something very uh, crucial in, in the pastiche of the music world. But uh, for me personally, 87, 1987 was like around the time I think I started discovering these bands. 
So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, was it Introduce Yourself came out in 87. I remember seeing the video for We Care A Lot uh, at that point. But then uh, the Uplift MoFo Party Plan by the Red Hot Chili Peppers came yeah. out that same year. So yeah. for me, all right, the 1985, 86, 87, 88, it was like white guys with dreads and shaved head partially shaved heads and dudes wearing like t-shirts with ties and stuff like that and shorts with combat boots and all that that shorts, was, shorts, socks on dicks yeah socks shirtless like cali dudes you know like that was kind of <laughs> like i saw that I, I looked at these bands and there was like that was like the the you know jane's addiction another band like that fishbone you know yeah like I always looked at Faith No More as like fitting more, at least initially, as fitting more into that kind of vibe, as as like what what I think they turned into. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and for me, the Peppers, and, and I, I'm an unapologetic Red Hot Chili Peppers fan, and like I, I understand there's a lot of things to not like about them. I know that my good friend Eugene Robinson. Uh, fucking hates the Red Hot Chili Peppers for, for personal reasons. And I've never met any of those guys and never had any interactions with them. I just think their music was, was especially in the early days, pretty different, you know? And um, so to me, Faith No More was like kind of like a, um, like a, a paler version of that band because of the funk mm -hmm. elements and the, rap, the rapping and, and all that kind of stuff. And that's not to say I didn't like those albums, though, because I did like the Chuck Mosley yeah. record. Yeah. The, the thing is, like, I think if I would be older, I also wouldn't have liked them. But I'm pretty pretty sure if I would would have lived earlier and had, like, different experiences, I would also have would have approached them differently. When I was, like, when I was that age back then, I didn't really care for, like, how they looked or anything. It's just, like, the music was cool. But, like, I, I saw, like, I also, the, the um, uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic came out the same time. And I remember, like, in this youth magazine, like, a teen magazine that, that I still had, like, it's a subscription. My parents paid that for me and... There was like a lot of like new kids on the block and all the shit was happening. Also, weird, oddly enough, at the same time, Depeche Mode's Violator happened. Oh, yeah. It was in there. And um, and they had like a special on underground music and how people dress. So there was like a, a, a metal guy, a chubby guy with long, filthy hair and a leather jacket <laughs> with a lot of patches on. And there were like three records we suggest you to listen to. And it was like a Napalm Death record, uh, a Carcass and an Obituary record. And then there was the, the, the grunt. Like, I, I don't know what the other thing was, but I think that the third one was a grunge guy. And it, I had like this this proto look of a grunge guy, you know, like rip, rip, ripped off short jeans with like leggings underneath it. Uh, a flannel shirt and uh, like curly hair, long curly hair. And it had like a suggestion was like, never mind by Nirvana, 10 by Pearl Jam and Angel Dust by Faith No More. Oh, and to this day, I don't, th uh, to this day, I don't think that Faith No More is in the slightest a grunge band. No. And they were, like, they were all the time were like in between chairs. But I, I can totally see what you're saying. Like in general, all these, like I, I've tried to find out as much as I could about these bands back then. And 
there was no internet. So you had to have magazines and like had to buy CDs, like just from hearing about a name or seeing someone wearing a band shirt. Or, it was on 120 minutes or shit like this. And I never got into Fishbone. I never got into Living Color. Never got into Jane's Addiction. And I also like, I like the Chili Peppers, but I faith no more stuff. And I don't know why, but that just like did more for me. And I picked up the Life at Brixton Academy tape when I was on a, on a field trip in France with my class back then. And it was also the first time I heard of Black Sabbath because they were covering War Pigs. Yeah. And so, like, they opened, again, like, back then, I remember buying death metal CDs, and then you read, like, the thanks list, and you watch, the sh like, check out the shirts, and then you buy the next CD based upon the shirts that these guys were wearing. And... um so I found out about Black Sabbath and all these bands. And that's the thing. Like, I think when you listen to the, especially the real thing, when Jim Martin was in the band and was like, he's a, he can shred, man. He's like a killer guitar player. And uh, that's a, like, at some parts, it's a real classic metal record. They just have different elements in it. It's just like, I don't know, more emotionally. And sometimes it's kind of like weirdly funny or bizarrely humorous in what they're doing. I can understand why metal people didn't like it. But I'd, something clicked with me. And then when Angel Dust came out and Patton sang in the lower key, that was the difference that it made for me. I don't like, I'm not a fan <laughs> of the, like, I, I like Mark's, like Chuck Mosley's vocals better than I like the vocals on The Real Thing. But I like best the vocals on Angel Dust and everything he did after that. Yeah, well, well, Mike Patton, is, I mean, is is like you know just levels above what Chuck Mosley can do vocally. You know, and, yeah. And um, I mean, I I remember speaking about T-shirts. I remember seeing Metallica wearing uh, like a Faith No More. One of the guys in Metallica, maybe maybe Jason Newsted or something like that, was wearing a uh, a Faith No More T-shirt. And, um, yeah. and I was like, that, that, I mean, that was like the same thing. Like I would see bands I liked wearing t-shirts of other bands and I would check them out. And then back in the eighties, uh, you know, and into the nineties, MTV was playing music videos <clears throat> and, um, the visual aspect became like very prominent as to like how I would relate to, to music. And, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh Jim Mar Martin, the guitar player. Jim Jim, Jim Martin, Martin, yes, Martin, right. Yeah. Like when I saw the um, the the real thing video, because you know there was a little bit of time between uh, "We Care a Lot" and the real thing, and yes. uh, and I um, I actually bought the real thing first, and then bought the "Introduce Yourself" record after that, after mm -hmm. seeing both, recognizing that as being the same band with two different singers. And uh, Martin, the you know the guitar, Jim Martin's guitar playing, the kind of heavy metal thrash vibe to it. I was like, oh, I can relate to this, and and I did. I mean, I used to listen to this record. It wasn't like I, I like oh pshaw, like I like the chili. No, it wasn't like that at all. I <clears throat> excuse me, I really did. I would run this album a lot back in the day, and um, you know, I I was into it. I thought it was cool. Like I didn't, you know. I thought it was like a, a a new direction that like you know metal being fused with like rap and and I, and I liked rap man I mean that was also you know growing up in uh, you know the suburban New York City world 
uh, hip hop in, in in high school, like Run DMC, like all that stuff was. We were all listening to that kind of music. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, I I definitely listened to this record. But I think that I didn't make the transition into the '90s with them. That's all I'm trying to say, I guess. Yeah, and and I can totally see why, and that that's what I thought. That's what I meant. I, I we're we're like very very much alike when it comes to like a lot of musical stuff, and I think if as I said, like if I would have been like born born younger, I I think it would the same would have happened. But I was born into like this phase when Angel Dust came out and they were just like a more serious band. Because I think even though like even on, on Angel Dust, they have kind of like weird, weird lyrics and like a mixed songs. It's a very dark record and it's more sinister. And also the music videos, if you watch like the real thing video, it's kind of corny when you look back at it. But in 1991, 90, 90, 92, like all these videos, and I think Them Bones by Alison Chains and Wood, like two of my favorite videos from that time because they were just so fucking cool. Like that band playing the songs was just so good. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, the, the Midlife Crisis video was one of the first things I saw. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And they, they had like kind of the same coolness to it even though they sounded different. But that was the prime of music videos that started around that time. And I, yeah, I was a, like, I was a total MTV kid. I, I said this before on this podcast and also on Metal Matters. I videotaped Headbangers Ball, 120 Minutes, Yo! MTV Raps. And I did like mixtapes with two VCRs hooked to each other. And I kept on watching them, and I think by still to this day, my haircut is defined by the by Lane Staley's haircut in the Wood video and Mike Patton's hairstyle in the Midlife Crisis videos. I don't know; it's just like they were so fucking cool, and I still to this day think they're a fucking cool band. And I have to say, like whenever people come up to me, it's like, so why did you include keyboards in Ulfa after the first record? It's like it's Fields of the Nephilim. New Model Army and Faith No More. All these bands I loved and they all had keyboards and they used it in such an interesting way. And given the fact that Roddy Bottom, like the keyboard player in Faith No More is the main songwriter is also interesting. And um, yeah, it's just like they use it to such an extent that it makes this whole thing so grandiose. And I think they did it perfectly on Angel Dust. Yeah, I, I listened to the record a few times. Um you know, in preparation for this. And, and yeah, I, I mean, it, it is a, a cool album. Like I, I probably will now that it's, you know, significantly later in my life, appreciate this record more because I, I just remember at the time I was like, eh, this is all right. You know, and just not really like, cause I, 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 you know, I was just into different stuff, you know what I mean? And, and now I think, there's a lot of things that go that I look back on and I have more appreciation for that I did when I first heard them. Maybe I mean it's just getting older, I guess. You know, you have yeah. you hear things differently. You know, you've had more life experience, like all that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. yeah, but it's also like I think that phase, and for me, that was stuff that happened initially in this moment. But for people like you that have been into music longer, 
this time in the 90s, there was a significant change in how people approached their music. And it's also like the big, uh, like what happened at the same time. I mean, grunge was the biggest thing that happened. And I think it made a lot of bands that have been active, had been active for a bunch of years, rethink their approach. And if you listen, for example, I know you as much as I am, we're both not big fans of Anthrax. Like, they're okay, respect them, but I was never an Anthrax guy. But then in 92, I think the sound of white noise came out, where they had John Bush of Armored Saints singing. Yeah. And they had like a more grunge sound. And to this day, I can still listen to that record and think it's a cool record. The same happened with Creator. Like the, <clears throat> for me, best Teutonic thrash band there is. And I mean, we all know like what, what Creator like started. But then in 92, Renewal came out and it was like a totally different sound. It, again, it was slower and it was heavier from like chunkier from the riffs. Miller started singing differently and it's just interesting that such a shift happened because of like a bunch of guys in, in Seattle or in the Washington area doing something differently and <clears throat> I don't know like this 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 time of my life was so impactful and that's why I like treasure all these records from that time and I can see why people say okay I like the earlier stuff better or when people say, oh, King King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime is the better record because they entered it later. It's just not my thing. It's I think the cool thing about Angel Dust is it's so mixed. It's, uh, it's to totally like it's an odd mixture of, of styles they had, but they did it in a way that it's still like one big entity. I think if you listen to King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime, it has some great songs, but overall, it's like from every song to the next song, they skip the style. And you've got, it's such a big difference that it, it's not cool for me. I don't like it. So, yeah, so they kind of lost me after that. They got me back later with Album of the Year. But, yeah, for me, that time with Real Thing and Angel Dust was like the, the best face they had. Do you know that Kiss even had a grunge album? I don't know if you knew that. Oh no! Yeah, they, did, which which one is that? It's a record called Carnival of Souls. I know the I know the artwork, but if I don't know the records, yeah, it's, Car it's uh, really? Carnival of Souls. It's like a, it came out in the '90s, and it was like they had it was like down tuned, you know, like slow, <laughs> like kind of like the um, you know blueprint of like the the bass intro, you know, ding, 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 you know that kind of thing yeah, yeah, that, yeah that sort of tempo you know what i mean like 100 like maybe 120 bpm or something like that with like you know <laughs> drums like heavy toms like stuff you know like this kind of like whimsical like vocals and everything no oh, man okay i have to I have to check that out <laughs> it's, it sounds weird thinking about kiss doing this but then again we all know what celtic frost was up to later on yeah yeah totally i mean well the thing is too it's like it's it's interesting what you mentioned though, just about how things really did like bands that didn't have any business playing grunge, like that have had full careers doing something else, pivoted yep. pivoted into this a whole other style as just as a result of that. You know, either obviously with Kiss, it was probably just to make money and you know stay relevant and that kind of thing. But some bands just, I think maybe in the case of Anthrax, like even though I don't really like that album. 
it might just be in the spirit of, well, let's, let's try something new. Like, you know, we dig this other stuff. Like we like the way these bands sound. Let's try it in the context of the, of the band we play in and see where it goes. It's, it's, it's so all over the place with, with heavy, like, let's call it guitar music for a lack of a better term. But if you also like, if you take carcass where carcass started, Oh, yeah. And then, like, Necroticism, still my favorite record of them. But then the transition to Hard Work, and, and, like, from Hard Work, which was, like, this critically acclaimed, very easily accessible record, to, to Swan Song, which was, like, mid-tempo rock and roll record, almost. You know, like, people, like, I think at some point, bands just think, like, Ugh, I'm tired of doing the same stuff all over again. And the weird thing is that some, like, mostly it fails, and then they return to what they started early on, and then it gets cringeworthy. For example, Paradise Lost is such an example for me. Like I, I love the when the, the way it started. I I'm with them until I can. Then they started becoming like with Draconian Times, like an I don't know kind of an indie band, and they like had two straight up indie records that could have been played next to I don't know whatever indie band was popular at that time. To totally fail with their original fans and later on it's like, oh yeah, we'll go back to, to death metal now and now the guy can't sing anymore. <laughs> yeah, they their earlier stuff really got me. You know what I mean? I I, I mean, yeah, I mean they, they at this stage of the game, Paradise Lost has more like terrible records than good ones in my opinion, you know? Yeah. Another another example, just because there was the the to me, my favorite thrash record of all times, and please don't throw stones at me, but it's not a Slayer record. It's Arise by Sepultura. Oh, that's and a great that album. I, I love that record. It's a 30-year anniversary. And look what happened between Arise in 1990 and uh, Chaos AD in 90, I think, 3 or 94. The, the same time, you know, like Machine Head Machine came out and like... A lot of bands back then changed their style. Also, Justice for All to the Black Album. It's already a big shift. And it's kind of, I don't know, like if music television made these bands try to be more accessible in a way. I don't know, man. I, I think that with Sepultura, though, they, they um, I, you know, that, that Chaos ID record still is an iconic album, definitely. It is. Yeah, most, most deaf. You know, and, and I even, you know, I'm going to say uh, that I even like parts of Roots, to be honest. Oh, I fucking hate that. That's, I, I, <laughs> see, I know, man. You know, there you go. It's like, I, I think that record for the, I would say 70% of that album is pretty good. But then again, I also like Diabolic, Diabolica in Musica, the Slayer, the new metal Slayer record yeah. that came out. Yeah. Too. Yeah. But, but do you know who did guest vocals on Roots? Um, there, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to get, I could guess, but I, I, I'd rather you tell me. It, yeah. It's Mike Patton. Like oh, he, okay. he sang, he sang, he sang that Rata Mahata kind of tribal drumming song. Yeah. It's Mike Patton singing. So I, that, that's what I said earlier. I think that, that Faith No More like led the way to this crossover thing that happened and then new like new metal and crossover like not the crossover that randy and you talked about but <laughs> the terrible the, the terrible crossover which was super immensely popular here so metal with rap vocals i kind of also kind of 
I, I, I kind of blame body count to to an extent to this, but I don't fuck with iced tea. Like on a like, I love iced tea, and I don't fuck with body count on a negative way. But like you know, like all this shit that happened back then, like these. Yeah, Judgment Night soundtrack happened, and all of a sudden, all the metal bands had like rap vocals. And ugh, in Germany, that got, oh, that got that got so big, and it was terrible. I, I blame Helmet for for all of that, <laughs> man. I mean, which is so ironic because you know Helmet in the beginning was like this kind of like artsy, you know, Glenn Branca like noise kind of band. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. With uh, with like very, I think, I mean, my impression of Helmet in the beginning is you get a guy like Paige Hamilton, who's like this virtuoso guitarist, like very into like this highbrow, like musical expression. And it, they're almost like um, Glenn Branca meets, um, you know, Big Black, like with, a, yep. with an actual drummer instead of a drum machine. And just like Fair that enough, yeah. per- percussive, you know, very machine-like uh you know, repetitious thing going on. But that also lends itself. I mean, if you think about like rap and hip hop music and you think about, for example, Public Enemy, um, yep. was it It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back came out in like 88 or something, I think. Mm-hmm. And that that has uh, rap music with like a slightly faster tempo. I don't know, that, that record is more like it has industrial beats on it almost. Yeah. And then, then again, like Public Enemy and Anthrax, Bring the Noise. One of the first, like uh, maybe the second after Anthra- uh, after Aerosmith and Run DMC. Maybe the second of this real, cr- like this this rap metal crossover things that happened. And I remember, like I got the, the, the picture 10-inch of Bring the Noise from a friend back then, and I really liked it. It's probably one of the better songs of, of uh, Anthrax that I really like, you yeah. know. But um, this 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 rap metal thing, I don't know, man. Like Judgment, I, Helmet Helmet had a song with House of Pain on Judgment Night, and then the same, you know, like do you know the Judgment Night song? Yeah, like, dude, yeah everyone. Yeah. That's a I, I yeah. actually kind of like that record, to be honest. Yeah, and there's the best song on there is Faith No More with Booyah Tribe. That was yeah. super dark, and and later on, like a bit later in the '90s, you had the Spawn soundtrack, where then again you had metal mixed with like uh, techno and industrial. We had like this phase with, with everything that Nine Inch Nails started with all the stabbing westward and all these bands, which had Marilyn Manson and the Sneaker Pimps go to, together and stuff like this. And and everybody hates the Spawn movie, and boy, that needs to be remade like in a proper way. Like Spawn needs a real proper movie. Um, but the soundtrack is so iconic; everybody knows the soundtrack. And also, I don't know anybody that says like, "Oh yeah, man, Judgment Night." That was a great movie, but everybody knows that fucking soundtrack. That's a good point. Uh, you know, and and the I you know I I actually kind of believed in rap metal back in the day because I thought the people that were doing it, you know, you got anthrax public enemy you know you got the you know house of pain with like helmet that it actually potentially could have been a cool thing you know what i mean yeah yeah and and like if the right people did it but it also you know i hate to be like a you know a hipster about it but it's like but i feel like it touched the nerve with the wrong people and it turned into this really abysmal style of music Oh God, man! That was like in the '90s. That it was every uh, like Central Media did a lot of this shit in Europe at that time. Like I remember, there was one band 
just like I, I will tell you the name and how the cover artwork look and you tell me if there's a chance you will ever listen to them. So the so the band is called Black Eyed Blonde and it has like a light blue cover with a yellow dildo on front of it. That was like one of one of the most successful German crossover bands. I, I don't think I would, that would uh, entice me to listen to the record. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Ter terrible time, man. But yeah, man, uh, Faith, Faith, and More were kind of like pushing this, and I, I also think, like, if I, I when I did research for this episode, you remember, like, you, you, you said earlier that like you saw like one of Metallica wearing a Faith and More shirt. Metallica were actually big fans of Faith No More. So were like Slash and Duff McKagan. Yeah. And they they brought them on tour together. And they had like there was a tour of Guns N' Roses, uh, Faith No More, Metallica, and Soundgarden, which was like a badass lineup. Thinking about it, and also Robert Plant is a big fan of, of Faith No More. But then like this like that's cool. But like later on, like the more people that quoted other guys from Slipknot, System of a Down, Corn, they, they, they all say like without them, without Faith No More, there would have been no Slipknot. And I think, well, maybe then there shouldn't have been a Faith No More in the end. Yeah. But <laughs> it, it's, yeah, it's, it's weird, but they, they, they pushed a lot of boundaries back then. And I just have tremendous respect, like looking back at the development and now being able to like find old interviews and, and like art read articles about how much they didn't give a fuck about what people thought. They were like, we're metal fans, but we grew up. I mean, Roddy Bottom, if you, if you listen to the, we care a lot EP, the first thing they recorded in 1985, it sounds almost like the first ministry record. And like with a lot of dark wave in it, and and Roddy Bottom said like in the beginning we wanted to sound like Susie and the Banshees, Theater of Hate, and the Cramps were a big influence, and I can totally hear it in the first record. Then with Introduce Yourself, they got more into this percussive like slap bass thing, and with with uh, the real thing, they were like a, a straight up metal band without being a straight up metal band. But I can see like why metal people hated them, and some said like this is the best thing ever. Well, you know, slap bass was kind of big in the eighties too. It's like that, you know, there was like a bunch of um, stuff going on in the late eighties with slap bass and in, in, in yeah. quote unquote metal music, you know, and you had there's a twenty four seven spies, you know, there which was like this kind of bad, oh, yeah. bad brains like influenced uh, band out of New York, and they had some slap bass. Yep. There was. Of course, uh, you know the Red Hot Chili Peppers, where their whole, their whole like rhythm section revolved around slapping the bass, you know. And then, then there's Ryan Patterson and slapping bass on a photo crime record. Oh, really? Yeah, the last on the, on the South of Heaven, the, the record he put out last year. He he told me for it, Ralph. There's the song I slapped the bass on there. Don't hate me. <laughs> Wow. It's just yeah, there's a slap bass. But it's actually he pulled it off. I mean, it's it's he he like he's a child of the '80s as much as you and I are, even though I'm younger. But like, I mean, I love photo crime. I love Ryan, and he 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 pulled it off. And I mean, we all know that you can pull off slap bass without being totally corny and idiot. Now we we were talking about corn uh, and <laughs> corn. So so. <laughs> yeah. uh, there is a difference, I think, between new metal and rap metal. Yes, definitely. <laughs> There's a yes, subtle yes. difference, and yeah. we, you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna like uh, talk about all the influence and the great things about Faith No More, we also have to talk about new metal too. And Helmet, Helmet is also 
they're the fucking culprits behind that scene. Yeah. I, 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 I always blame Roots by Sepultura when we were talking about this because then they, they I, I, I don't even know if, they, if, if Roots came out after the first Korn record, but it was also like it was downtuned, it was more rhythmical, more mid-tempo. Um, I, I think the first time that I ever heard a band in that vein was uh, when the first Machine Head came out, a record I totally loved back then, recently tried it, to me, it doesn't doesn't stand the test of time, but re I remember Ruff Flynn on Headbangers Ball introduced Corn as the next big thing coming in metal, and boy was he right because like that first Corn record, uh, it made everything happen, and yeah, I don't know. It's I, what what's your take on new metal? <laughs> I'm not into it, man. It's like I I think that was one of the biggest failures in creativity. <laughs> <laughs> of modern man in my opinion you know um, yeah. but hey people you know what's crazy is uh bobby torres the guy who re recorded our last couple of albums he's um actually it's interesting he he actually doesn't record as much these days like he is he's really focused on his uh youtube instructional series on audio engineering and um, so he's really nowadays he's choosing what projects that he works on and he has his other guys do the bulk of the work that comes into the studio. So for years and years and years, he was recording all these bands out here in New Jersey. And uh, what the last time we were um, we were in his studio recording under uh, Sullen Skies, he was telling us a story about it. he's like, yeah, there's like all these new bands now that they consider themselves to be new metal. Like they're like, yeah, we're we're a new metal band, like like it's like a style, like black metal or or yeah. uh, well, I mean, it is a style, but yeah, there, I guess there's a resurgence at least here in the tri-state area of um, new metal music. Oh man, yeah, it's it's also it's bec uh, our next next door rehearsal space neighbors uh, for like where I have a rehearsal space with, uh, where Ulta and also ropes of night rehearses and the band next door is called the, the Cologne new metal all-stars. <laughs> and they're like doing a bunch of cover songs and they also have their original material, but they, they fucking sound like static X system of a down and all these terrible bands that came out. And I remember, like, when the first corn came out, I'm just, I was, I, I spoke about this on, on our, like, the, the point of entry episode. It's like the, the, the sound aesthetic of a deeper sound with more bass was always more intriguing to me. I think I blame it on that I first heard Justice for All before I heard every other Metallica record. And um, I, that's also why Ulfa doesn't sound like a tape deck recording and why I dig bands that have like this heavy, chunky sound. And then like the first Korn came out and it was just like, it was so deep. I mean, there were seven strings down tuned. And back then I have never heard anything like this because, I mean, there was Doom and I, I'm pretty positive there were like a, a lot of funeral Doom bands that were out there that I didn't know by that time. But um, I also didn't know Godflesh. And so that was impressive to me. And then, like, I bought the first Korn record, and then the Deftones came out. And to this day, I, I hold the Deftones as a very good band, but they had different influences. And they are the only band of, out of all these bands that were kind of serious. 
not like I mean there were so many horrible bands with spiky hair and uh, stupid names and stupid gimmicks and the Deftones were always like no dude we grew up with Duran Duran and Echo and the Bunny Man and we just like the sound and I mean they also had like we call it sausage hair so like sausage dreadlocks <laughs> yeah I'm aware I'm familiar it, with that <laughs> so I don't know, like the the Deftones, the first Deftones record came out on Madonna's label, and they were not as much down to it as, as they were later on. But I fucking liked that, and I still to this day I treasure the Deftones as the only band out of that whole new metal thing that is really like halfway important. I, I agree about the Deftones. I I did not like them when they were like in the when they were like new, like in the 90s. Um I remember that White Pony record came out and um Yep. I was living in Boston at the time and um you know, I was uh I was doing uh Anodyne and I was living with these dudes, you know, we were in this house and um and the guys were like uh you know, more like in the hardcore world. You know, they were like like when guys who play in hardcore bands, like real, like real deal hardcore bands, you know, like they're in, yeah. in, into that specific thing. When they get to be like 27, 28 years old, they want to like do something differently. You know what I mean? So uh, Radiohead and um, the Deftones were like the, the thing that those yeah. guys started getting into. You know what I mean? At least, and we're talking about the 1996 through nine, 1999 era of time. Yeah. So I just remember these guys were like listening to this shit all the time. And I was like, ah, you know, this is like, I don't know, man, this is soft. Like you guys are fucking like, I don't know, like this is like for girls or something like that. You know I mean? And like, I should have been thinking like, yeah, this is cool. Maybe I could hang out with girls who like this kind of stuff. But I, <laughs> but I wasn't, I was much more into like my remote isolationist world that I was living in in that period of time. But now as time goes on, like maybe five, maybe seven years ago, I started seeing the value in the Deftones and even even Radiohead, you know, and I think both of those bands are, are actually really good. Yes, totally agree. Like I, I it's it's uh it's the same case with New Model Army. When you talk about New Model Army, a lot of people say love the music, hate the fans. And that's the way I felt and on the Deftones shows I saw as well as the Radiohead shows I saw. I'm not a fan of the like original two records of the of Radiohead. I like them more when they started becoming more experimental and also a bit darker. And with the Deftones again, that's that's the same topic as as I mentioned earlier. Everybody's always, do you like the Deftones? Yeah. Oh man, White Pony is like, no, dude. The adrenaline record, the first one, and uh, around the third, the second one. It's like, oh no, dude. It's like again, I was earlier into them. Probably if I would have started listening to music later, I also would have said White Pony. But I totally like love these those records and they're like they're a good band. And it, again, I think the difference is the influences they had. And uh, yeah, as Chino Moreno is a great vocalist and he did a lot of cool stuff with different projects with interesting people. I mean, he was in Palms with your buddy and uh, doing all this <laughs> with my buddy. <laughs> yeah. Jeff, actually, Jeff, Aaron, and Cliff were all in that. Yeah. Yeah. And then to, to bridge the gap back, Isis was on Ipecac, right? Yep. Well, yeah. towards the end, like they're, they're, you know, when they were like gigantic, they were on Ipecac, you know? Yeah. 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 
But it's like, yeah, I mean, it's all. So I assume like Jeff must have met Mike Patton at some point, or, I, yeah. yeah. And I, I also, I, oh, that's the one thing I always wonder about. I don't like. I can't. I, I think Mike Patton is an artist, and I think he he must be like. If you talk to him, I assume he's nice, but he could be very difficult in his way, kind of like a Michael Girard kind of person. Sure. I don't know, like to 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 like if you look at the output that Mike Patton has, he's driven and he's relentless, man. Like he he has so much stuff going on, and I think you must be kind of crazy to do all the stuff that he did. And it's crazy to see him in this in these with his long hair and the the like turnaround mash hat. Like he wasn't over the top, but he was playing in uh, like. <laughs> in the real thing videos and seeing him nowadays like doing impro vocal stuff with John Thorne doing vocals like being the first one to ever sing on a Bohren and the Club of Gore song and it's it's incredible what this guy has done throughout his career and I, I totally respect him for that yeah I will never ever like uh, denigrate anything about his work ethic or his technical vocal abilities, man, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think he's incredible when it comes to that. But uh, no, it's just, uh, you know, the, the, the record label, like all that you know, stuff's, you know, really, really cool. I mean, I, I am not really like, typically I don't, that's not like a record label that I'm like, you know, like scrutinizing and following or anything like that. I mean, I have a few yeah. records. I mean, Di Dialect came out on that yes. uh, record label. Of course, uh, the Locust put out a record, you know, ISIS. Yeah. ISIS being on um, Ipecac was the, um, how I, I found out about the label, you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, no, it's just funny. I remember back <clears throat> the, the relationship, I think, with Mike Patton started in the late nineties with a uh, Hydrahead because I remember one day when I was still living in Boston, I was walking home from the subway or the, they call it the T up there in Boston. And I ran into Mark from um, who was working with Aaron on Hydrahead. And mm -hmm. this is maybe 1998, something around there, somewhere in that time, 97. Mm -hmm. And Mark's like, Oh yeah, man, you know, we're down with Mike Patton. And I was like, so like, why like, why is that important you know like but then but that it, but it was important you know because yeah. uh you know they started doing stuff on on a label end together and then when isis i mean there's you know i'm sure everyone out there probably imagines the type of opportunities isis might have had you know when they started becoming really you know really really big you know they were they were big like in you know they, they were big in like a hardcore way you know, back in the 97, 98, you know, like being able to pack like a 400 capacity room, you know, like big in the way that Converge was big, you know, back then. Oh. And, uh, but then what they, they started for some, I mean, I, I think that I, I find it, I, I think their music is, 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 is done well, but I, I also was like, man, I can't believe that regular people like them. You know, like people who, because yeah. there's no real, like, um, the songs are long. Uh, you know, there isn't any kind of, like, vocal thing going on that might, you know, attract people, like, in, like, kind of, like, a, you know, a popular sort of way, populist kind of way. But they started becoming, like, a real commercial, commercially viable band, 
you know, and, and as yeah. you can imagine, they had other opportunities, but they decided to go with Ipecac. And I think a lot of that probably had to do with, um, you know, with their relationship with Patton and probably uh, Patton being an artist himself, like his, uh, maybe his, his uh, take on, on what the contract might've looked like, you know, that kind of stuff. So I give him credit yeah. for that too, you know? Yeah. And I think he's like, throughout everything he has done and i was just like a bit blown away when i did research for this episode like on how much stuff he has put out and with how many amazing people he has worked with i think he's just an overall fan of music still to this day like a nerd like you and i am but just like we never broke to that point that we can live off that shit and commit full time so we always have to work like a regular grind and do the bands besides that and i mean both like ultha and tombs even more we're doing a lot of stuff for having regular jobs next to it but he's like he's doing it full time and i have tremendous respect for it and he's done so much cool stuff and i just it's it's making me cringe just to think about that he's i mean he sang on the born and the club of gore record he sang on the dillinger escape plan ep did something with Mercbow. And now he's singing the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles song for the new video game that just came out. It's, it's, <laughs> it's totally weird. But it, it fits, like, it fits my picture of, of him. Have, have you ever, like, speaking of, have you ever listened to that Phantom Mass record where they did the movie scores? Uh, you know, I, I, I listened to the first Phantom Mass record. And I didn't get into it at all. And, and I, no, did, I, so, never, I never checked out the score one. Maybe I'll like yeah, that one. But, I don't know. Yeah, I same here. I don't. I, I'm not a fan of Tomahawk. I'm not a fan of Phantom Mass. But that 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 score record they did that's actually pretty cool. And there's like live videos of that with with King Buzo and Dave Lombardo, and that's actually pretty cool. Yeah. But that band Dead Cross might be up your alley if you don't know them. Yeah, yeah. I remember actually. Uh, J- uh, Justin was on uh, Everything Went Black a number of years ago when. Um, yeah when and he mentioned dead cross and it's all right you know i i don't know like that i i like it just because because justin's involved in it and um i like yeah. most of the stuff like retox i think is cool like but yes. um i get tired of that kind of stuff you know what i mean it's it's um yeah. i feel like i heard it all before it's kind of like rehashing it's like that fast like southern you know, san diego kind of stuff like yeah yeah it's all kind totally. of been well well documented and the and, and the dead cross stuff is a little bit different you know what i mean yeah it's also that's that's more like a life band or when you're on the road and you need something okay i have a 20 minute drive and i'm kind of tired that's that's when i put that on but it's nothing i own on vinyl but uh like seeing that life with all the, the staff members it's it's crazy and it's pretty cool um but yeah, also like not a band that I would actually buy. Retox, Retox, I saw two times. That was, I think, more my style. But yeah, the, the, the San Diego stuff didn't age well in my, like for me. A lot of people still treasure it. But the whole thing about the Screamo Chaos Core thing, not a lot of bands still hold up to this day for me. Nah, you know, and, and, and those guys are like probably like a little too cool to like, for the likes the likes of me you know what i mean yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, i see yeah but, that's uh, funny it's funny it's funny that the, the san diego style like influenced the whole swedish scene that refused could have like could become refused 
the way they are is pretty much because the swing kits were the swing kits. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, that a lot of the those like the you know the Crimson Curse and Locust and uh, you know Swing Kids, like those bands, I think are are definitely. I can still listen to that stuff. You know. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like uh, back then I was all over that and I can still listen to it. But that's what I mean. Like not a lot of bands actually hold up. And some of them you listen to them and think like, I, I remember why I loved this so much. But today it's just like, it's okay. But it's not a lot, not a music that I put on freak, like not a lot of times anymore. Yeah, definitely not. But uh, but yeah, I think we we, uh, we hit it, man. You know, we got yeah. our uh, our episode in about this uh Faith no more, difference of opinion or, or slightly different angles on this uh, yeah. topic, which wasn't such a different opinion after all. No, it's it's just, just, it's there's, just there's there's different overtones to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm curious to see if we ever find a topic where we really like complete opposites, <laughs> like you know, like talking about this and like, no, this is good. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that would. I mean. You and I have such similar takes on things that I don't think that's yeah. ever really going to happen. But I just think that it's uh, fun to to see things through different perspectives sometimes. You know. Yeah, yeah. That's that's why I want to do this either or thing at some point. You know, where we like really like put two choices. So what's your choice and why? And I think that could, that could be cool. All right, man. Well, uh, thanks everyone for listening. And we'll uh, we'll catch you guys uh, next month. Actually, you know, talk to you later.